0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. This is the third Sunday of Paoni, and we've now completed one week of the Apostles' Fast. Today's reading shows how Christ is continuing to prevail in his ministry, performing all sorts of miracles, and the gathering around him was growing more and more. His fame was growing, and uh, so are those who are following him as well. So much so that the Pharisees said uh, among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. In today's case, a person was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute. So the poor man was suffering extremely. He was demon-possessed, and and his soul was deeply disturbed, and he was on top of that, blind and mute. So Christ healed this miserable person and delivered him from being demon-possessed. But strangely, those around him were not praising him. They began to criticize him and accuse him of even doing evil by freeing this man. They didn't um, actually criticize the act itself, but they criticized the doer of that kindness. Extremely illogical. And if any of you are lawyers, there's this term called argumentum ad hominem, where, like, if in a court of law, if somebody is attacking the person rather than attacking the the um, the, the merit of the argument, it's it's called a fallacy. It's a it's illogical. And so that's what they're doing here. It's an ad hominem argument. What they're doing is they're basically attacking the person of Christ but not actually addressing what he did. And because what he did is, of course, beyond reproach, he freed a poor man from, uh, from uh, you know, the, the terrible position he was in, but they were so jealous of him that they began to accuse him. We see this in politics, right, where the politicians, instead of attacking the platform upon which the politicians stand, they attack the person of the politician, right? And they attack their personality, they attack the things they've done, but they don't attack what the, the politician stands for. And so that's what these politicians did here. They, they world a lot of personal attacks against Christ, Uh, as a diversion of the real issue um, that was going on there. Here the Pharisees, they, they they desperately sought the approval of the others, like we talked about last week. And they attacked the person of Christ with outrageous statements. But no one was able to criticize the actual acts of love and kindness that our Lord Jesus Christ did. But they even went so far as to attribute Christ's liberating acts of kindness and love, freeing this poor miserable person, to Satan himself. And that seems kind of insane to do that. But like we spoke about a few weeks ago, when we show that same kind of insanity when we make ourselves a slave to what other people think. In an attempt to please the multitude, one can become cowardly, flatterers, envious, or increase in hypocrisy. This is why Christ, uh, you know, this is why uh, they said that Christ himself was possessed. That's like the complete opposite, right? Christ is freeing those who are possessed because they envied the honor that Christ got from all the people because of the success of his ministry. So it's a lesson for us to always seek, of course, the glory and favor from God and not the um, glory and favor of uh, human beings. And, of course, when when we seek God's glory, he, of course, gives us glory among other people as well. This wasn't the first time. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, and that's in the same Gospel, they accused him of the same thing, but he didn't respond before. But here, he decides to respond. And he responds with four refutations of this comment that you're casting out demons by demons, right? So he gives them four responses, so that there's no confusion on their part. And he does so, so gently and kindly to, to them. First, he says that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. If Satan is divided against Satan, then his kingdom cannot stand. And this goes for everything, not just his kingdom, but everything. If uh, a nation is divided, it cannot stand. Kingdoms, if families are divided, they are at risk. If churches are divided, even parish churches or big like the, uh, the churches as a whole, if they are divided, they cannot stand as easily. All are more vulnerable when divided with conflict. Everything is vulnerable. So our goal, of course, in the church is to always have this kind of unity. We're in the Apostles' Fast currently. And one of the most amazing qualities of the apostles is that they practiced unity and love towards each other. An amazing quality that they had. So this is the theme, uh, unity and love. It prevails through the fasting of the apostles during the time that we're in right now. God deeply desires this kind of unity as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That kind of love that and the sacrifice and that unity that the apostles practiced, that kind of love that Christ himself practiced, must be obtained at all costs. We should all struggle to get this, because it's not easy. There are a thousand obstacles that threaten our divisions. A thousand, a thousand obstacles that will threaten the love between us. As much as there are a thousand faults in each one of us, there are a thousand reasons for us to divide. On top of that, our enemy, he loves to sow seeds of division. He he has that divide and conquer approach. He doesn't conquer us when we're unified. He conquers us when we're divided. So he instills these seeds of division on a daily basis. Seeds of pride or envy or dispute or lack of love or disobedience. Though he may plant these seeds, though it's up to us to let these seeds grow or to uh, cut them out before they grow. We have to endeavor, we have to labor to keep that unity. That unity which we have have in each other with all the saints and with all the angels who have gone before us um, and with Christ himself we receive when we partake of the Eucharist. So when we take the Eucharist, that makes us all one body. It makes us all unified, but it also unifies us with the church triumphant, the, the, the church in the heavenly Jerusalem. We are all unified with all the saints as well as all the angels as well. This is how he unified all the people with his body and with his blood uh, through the sacraments of the Eucharist, but also baptism and all the sacraments. And Christ's body, of course, cannot be divided. The body of Christ cannot be divided. When unified as a church and a people, we overcome every obstacle that uh, we face. We, we look at how, for example, during the last year, how much we, we kind of endured um, during this uh, COVID-19 challenges that we faced. But because of uh, the servants unifying around each other, uh, we kept the church going and we kept people going. And not just our church, but a lot of other churches did the same thing. And uh, it was beautiful to see during this time, although there was a lot of damage done that we have to now repair. And we have to, um, you know, instill the good habits that we might have maybe let go during this difficult time. But nevertheless, it was beautiful to see that kind of unity. The second refutation is that the apostles themselves performed the exorcism, so he calls them out on their hypocrisy. They had no issues with the acts of kindness that the apostles did, but when Christ himself did it, the same acts, that's when they accused him of such an outrageous accusation. Our Lord gave power to the apostles to perform these kind of healings and exorcisms, and only God himself has such authority to trample on the serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy. They saw that such liberty was not granted to humanity and he gently rebukes them saying, Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, shouldn't you be rejoicing that this great gift of freedom has been given to humanity rather than having your envy blind you in saying such outrageous things. You know, when we are accused or, uh, you know, something harsh is said to us, we usually respond and we reciprocate with an equal or even more aggression Here Christ is accused, the the creator of the universe, um, the source of all love and wisdom, is accused of casting out demons by Beelzebub, by another demon. And yet we see his gentleness in his response. He rebukes them. He does stand up for the truth. But he does so in such a gentle and kind manner. The third refutation is that Christ is opposed entirely to Satan and in his ways. There's no comparison. Christ says, he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Christ is so dramatically opposed to Satan in all of his evil ways that it adds to the craziness of this weird accusation. Christ stands for holiness, love, and hope, and peace, and virtue, which he preached day day in and day out during his three-year ministry. It was Christianity that drove out the era of paganism from the world. Evil is completely opposite to this. Satan wants an overreaching evil trend in society, but Christ um, opposes all that. He opposes all the corrupt values, beliefs, and norms that Satan tries to sow in society. Promiscuity, hate, and confusion, doubt, violence, are all qualities that Satan puts in societies. Not just in our current society, but in all societies before us as well. And without debate, this is what he does. But Christ does the opposite. Our Lord Jesus Christ was against all of this. Christianity was against all of this. The Christian himself, you, are against all of this. Uh, it shouldn't be so, uh, any kind of surprise when we often stand alone in a situation. At the time of the crucifixion, the whole multitude was screaming, crucify him, and Christ was alone. No one had his, his back, not even the disciples. At the time of King Ahab, <clears throat> the whole multitude w- worshipped idols except for 7,000 knees, 7,000 people among hundreds of thousands. And among Moses' time, all the people were condemned in their rebellion against God, and only Joshua and Caleb. All the people who left Egypt, no one entered into Jerusalem, only Joshua and Caleb. During the time of St. Athanasius, Arianism was spreading because they had the support of the the government. And Arianism was spreading and they took over churches. And St. Athanasius found himself against the whole world. The whole world was against him. But then he responded, and I am against the world. Because he knows that as long as Christ is with him, he is not afraid of anything. So the Christian stands in opposition to an evil world. Even if he or she stands alone because they seek to please God. And the fourth and final refutation is that we are at war against Satan. He asked, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he plunders his house? Christ comes and tackles and binds the strong man Satan so that he can take back what was stolen from God because Satan came and stole what belonged to God. He calls him the strong man because he is a powerful angel. God created him good and he turned from that goodness on his own accord. But he was still a powerful angel. And though he fell from God's grace and lost his purity, he still retained those attributes of that powerful angel. So he's like this strong man. But Christ came and bound that strong man. Before the crucifixion, he was called the prince of the world. He misled the whole world into paganism. He has supernatural powers within limits, He did with, he, as he did with Job by smiting him with disease or raising uh, a strong wind that caused his house to fall. We know in the last days he will also control the Antichrist and will deceive many, even, even if possible, even the elect. He will perform lying wonders and deceive many. Of course, he has power to tempt many, even the saints. He humbled, uh, he stumbled mighty men such as uh, King David, right? We know the story with King David, Solomon, St. Peter, and the apostles. He's smart. He's diligent. He has a lot of experience. He's got thousands of years of experience trying to make humanity stumble. And he never gives up. He's a liar, and he's very disrespectful and very resourceful. He hates us with a cruel hatred, a perfect hatred. But in all of this, Christians are not afraid of him because we know that invoking the name of Jesus Christ provides us, of course, strong power because he who is in us is stronger than he who is in the world. The devil has rebelled against God. He's taken and stolen and occupied land that belongs to him, that belongs to God. Our ever victorious Lord Jesus Christ, though, he makes open war against Satan and all of his evil powers to take back what belongs to him, to take back what was stolen from him. And so he bound him through the cross and gives us power to wage war as well in our life against every temptation, against every struggle that Satan will throw at us. We know that we have the keys to victory, the tools of victory. In the men's meeting, we're studying a really interesting book called uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Many of you might have heard of it. Um, He himself says in this book that we're, we're in the middle of a war. I like this quote that he says, We live in a part of the universe that is occupied by a force that is in rebellion against the true king. It's enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. And is calling us. All, he's calling us all to partake in a great campaign of sabotage. So when we go to church you are really listening to that secret wireless message from our friends. And that is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. And overcoming and winning is within the power of the human nature now because it's been blessed with the incarnation of our Lord. Since the divinity united with our humanity, and we partake of this in the Eucharist, we have power to overcome every, every uh, temptation and every uh, trap of the enemy. We say in the Gregorian liturgy, You blessed my nature in yourself. You showed me the way to rise from my fall. We receive a renewed human nature at baptism. This is what we receive at baptism. On top of that, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit because we also receive that right after baptism. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit and we have God dwelling inside of us. Christ says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Because it's Christ himself that fights for us. This is a war against Satan and God and he fights for us. Also, scripture and church history is full of various examples that we put as an example for us all over the church with the icons. of Lots of examples of such people of such natures as ours, but were victorious in the name of Christ. So we have many reassurances and assistances and promises in the warfare that we fight. He who is greater in us is greater than he who is in the world. Christ's power inside of us through the Holy Spirit is limitless and unconquerable. Should we call upon him and invoke the name of Jesus Christ, we have victory. And we must wage the war. We have to first recognize that we are in a war. And then we must wage the war with the proper weapons, as as St. Paul says in the book of Ephesians. One of the most powerful weapons we have is humility. Because what is the first sin that, that Satan did that kicked him out of paradise? His first sin was, of course, pride. And so we don't want any of that in our hearts. We, we want to try to stay humble and, and full of humility. Humility is the key to our victory. Also courage. We remind ourselves with the story of St. Anthony and how that the demons used to appear to him in all sorts of fearful things and, and, and visions and things of that sort. And he would look at them and say, if you had any power against me, the slightest one of you, the smallest one of you would be able to destroy me. But the fact that you can't, shows how weak you are in the name of Jesus Christ. And they all vanished at the name of Christ. If you want to read more about these diabolical warfares, because they are real. Whether we see them or not, they are truly real. And we are facing them. Pope Shenouda wrote a really good book called Diabolic Wars. And if you want that, we can email that to you. We have it in PDF. So may God grant us the strength of character, as he did with all the saints and the choir of the martyrs that went before us to stand firm in this world to, and invoke the name of Jesus Christ to, to have victory through the power of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit which dwells in us now and forever and to the ages of all ages. Amen.